Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Kings chapter 24. This is when Babylon is about to come and destroy Jerusalem. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. Again, you've got to understand this family heritage of sin. It's something that you see throughout these kings. There's a, a legacy of faith, but too often they choose a legacy of sin. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up through Jerusalem and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. And the king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. Now, now we have the question of the ark. Where is the ark? Because all the treasures. This is when the temple was destroyed. And the treasures of the king house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made, as the Lord had foretold. All the vessels of gold in the temple, that would include the ark, that would include the, the table of showbread, that would include, include the golden lampstands. So again, this is where the, the question about where is the ark today? And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. Now here, here is a key verse. How to impoverish a nation. You take away all the intelligentsia. This is one of the reasons why I <clears throat> overseas workers. This is why I don't like overseas workers. Now, people always get mad at me when I talk like this, but this is how you impoverish a nation. Notice the craftsmen and the smiths, these would be the builders. These would be what we would call the engineers and the architects. The mighty men of valor, these would be the men of war. The officials, this would be the educated nobility. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, the craftsmen, the metal workers, 1,000, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mathaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiachin, Kim, not Kim, Chin, Kim, had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to a point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out of his presence. Zedekiah 
rebelled against the king of Babylon. At 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 1. In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. So two years. On the ninth day of the fourth month of that second year. So really we have a little less than two years. The famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. That's going down that road, down into uh, the Jordan Valley. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. And they slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of the king of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord. Now, please, I want you to understand. Before, they just looted it. All right, up, up here, they just looted it. Here, they looted the temple. Okay, But they left the buildings intact. Now, they burned the temple. And thus ends... Solomon's temple. This is where Solomon's temple ended. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army, the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon Together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be the vine dressers and the plowmen. Here's the remnant. The remnant of poverty. But also, notice, all the strength is gone from the land. When you take out the strongest and the best people, you condemn a land of poverty. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, they didn't steal those the last time because they're so big. And the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. So, okay, these were the pillars and these were the Let's call it the infrastructure for sacrifice. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes, for instance, and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, everything that was needed for the infrastructure of worship. The fire pans also and the bowls 
What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away his gold. What was of silver, his silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea and the stands that Solomon made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits, and on it was a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. A lattice work of pomegranates, all bronze, were around the capital, and the second pillar had the same with lattice work. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and the five men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. And over all the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Jedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, governor. Now when all the captains and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Jedaliah governor, they came with all their men to Jedaliah at Mitzvah, namely Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and Sariah, the son of Talmuth, and Netophanite, and Jehazaniah, the son of the Amakanite. And Jedaliah swore to them and to their men, saying, Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. But in the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Jedaliah and put him to death along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mitzvah. Okay, here is a coup d'etat. Here is a coup. Ishmael wanted to become king. He felt that Jedaliah had no right to the kingship, so he was going to be king. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Babylon, from prison, and spoke kindly to him, and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, according to his daily needs, as long as he lived. This is the mercy of of God. You see, brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives when our sin brings a heavy hand of judgment upon us. And in the, that season of judgment, we finally come to our senses a little bit. And then we see the mercy of God begin to flow to our lives. That's a beautiful thing. Now, some of you might be listening to me this morning and you're going, you know, Pastor Summerall, I'm in a situation and it's my fault. Just like the, the people of Israel, it's my fault. And all the beautiful things that God gave me have been destroyed. And I don't see any hope for my future. If you will just come before him with a repentant, humble heart, 
the mercy of God will flow to your life. That's what God is like. Okay, that's what God is like. Come to him with a humble, repentant heart and watch mercy flow. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 21. This is after Paul's arrest in the temple courts. He's presented the beautiful offering, and <laughs> this is what happens. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, now remember with me that this is the temple courts, and this is the temple proper. Antonius's fortress is right here. This would be the temple proper. 
This is where the sacrifices are made here. This would be the women's court here. Gate Beautiful is here. Sanhedrin's over here. This is Antonius Fortress. All right. This is where the the Roman this is where the Roman militia was kept because they knew if there's going to be trouble, it's going to be up here in the courts. So they come down a set of stairs right about here. And now they're coming back up those stairs now with Paul. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? <laughs> Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Now, why Hebrew? Hebrew language shows he is part of them. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city. So Paul was raised in Jerusalem. Okay, he was a citizen of Tarsus. His family is from Tarsus, but he was raised. He was brought up in Jerusalem. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Okay, so this is his schooling, which is the strictest of the Hebrew schooling. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He said, I persecuted this way. And now remember, this is the Jewish name for the church. Because Jesus is the way. Everything about Jesus was access to the Father. I persecuted this way to the death. So he killed people. Paul said he killed people. He killed Christians. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them. Who's them? The high priest. The whole council of elders. From them. I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven shone suddenly around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, <laughs> Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. Jesus feels every hurt of the church. When we're persecuted as a church, Jesus feels it. 
what you're doing to the church, you do to Jesus. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to, number one, know his will, number two, to see the righteous one, and number three, to hear the voice from his mouth. Okay, so Paul appointed to three things. And that's powerful. And the reason... Four, you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Okay. He said, Paul, you're going to share your experience. Share your experience, not just doctrine. Now, beloved, please, I want you just to see that here for a moment. You know, we often think that the way you get people saved is just to share doctrine. And it's not. Share what you've seen and what you've heard. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Let, let, me, let me tell you about what I've seen and what I've heard. That's how you get people saved. And that was Paul's calling. This is Paul's calling. Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So Paul was water baptized. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance on notice. He returned to Jerusalem and he went to what he knew. He knew the temple. He said, I, I went to the temple. He said, I fell into a trance. And I saw him <laughs> saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now notice what you've seen and heard. He said, some people, some will not accept. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watch over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now we're going to pick up there tomorrow and see that. That is what exploded the situation. Because he said, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The Jews did not want the Gentiles to hear anything about God, okay? But he said to me, I saw him saying to me, 
he said to me, hear the voice from his mouth. See, brothers and sisters, I still believe God speaks to us today. Now, I don't believe that God talks as much as some people say he's talking. And there's a lot of people that say, God spoke to me. And I go, yeah, show me that in the Bible, which you say God told you to do. It's not there. Usually, these are people who, what I call proof text scriptures, rather than allow scriptures to speak for themselves. They, they come with an idea of what they want to say, and then they find a few scriptures to justify what they want to say. But that's not how it really works. You see, sermons, testimony, comes from experiences comes from encounters with God. And when you've had these encounters with God and you're speaking to the people that God has called you to speak to, there's productivity. But when people have really not heard from God, just their, their own, they're prophesying out of their imagination, the Bible says, then, then it's a different situation. Paul here was not making this up. Paul had an incredible encounter with God. Now, he, he still didn't understand it all, so he's back in the temple trying to, okay, God, this is where I've been talking to you since I was a little boy. And God speaks to him again, shows him what to do. God speaks to us today, brothers and sisters, but it always agrees with the word. All right, a little bit of wisdom from Proverbs before we close out today. Proverbs chapter 31, we're talking about an incredible wife, the virtuous woman. Her children rise up, and they call her blessed. Ladies, this is a beautiful thing. Her husband also, and he praises her. The family should praise mom. <laughs> you know, there are some men that can't praise their wife. There are some men that don't even believe that they should ever admit when they're wrong. I heard one young man say, never apologize to your wife. Excuse me. Guys, do you want to have a happy marriage? <laughs> Learn to say sorry to your wife. Okay. But even more than that, praise her. Praise her. And her husband also praises her. Guys, when you go home today, praise your wife. Tell your wife what a great wife she is, what a great woman of God she is, what a great mother she's been for your children, what a great wife she's been for you. You say, well, Pastor Summer, you don't know my wife. You know what? There's no perfect wives, but you know what? There's no perfect husbands. <laughs> Amen. Guys, praise your wife. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. Wow. Guys, here's something you need to pick up on. Charm is deceptive. Now, there are women who can be very charming. They know how to flip their hair. They know, oh. Charm is deceptive. When, whenever you see a woman using her charm, ah. You need to get out of there. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, a woman who respects God, is to be praised. That's the kind of a woman, guys, you want to marry. A woman who respects God. Give her of the fruit of her hands. 
Okay. Let her enjoy what she has produced. Now, above here, we've seen all the different things that she produces and all the different things she, she earns. He said, give her the fruit of her hands. You know, there are some husbands, they so control the money that the wife can't even go out and spend anything without an attitude coming at them. Guys, when your wife has earned, give her the fruit of her hands. Let her go and spend. Let her enjoy doing what she wants to do. And let her works praise her in the gate. This is where the men gather. This is the place of leadership and business. Let her works praise her in the gates. Let people speak well of her in the places where the leaders in a city gather. Guys, let the wives be praised also. Amen. All right. Tonight, 7 o'clock, our branch pastors continue to speak. And then Friday night, we move into Missions Weekend. It'll be a night of worship. In fact, Friday night, we'll be laying hands on the Soriano family and sending Pastor Bong. The family will follow in about three weeks, but we're sending Pastor Bong over. He'll be taking over the work in Hawaii as well as coordinating all of the different outreaches that we're doing across the U.S. and Canada right now. So Brother Bong has a big job ahead of him. So we'll see you Friday night as we send them out in Jesus' name.